Well, summer vacation is uh, coming up for uh, some folks. And then in due time, it will be autumn again. At which time comes the inevitable question, what did you do on your summer vacation? One option I want to offer you is the answer, I fought authoritarianism through creative language use. And that's what I want to talk about today, fighting authoritarianism through creative language use. Now, in a few minutes, we will be celebrating our annual flower ceremony. The focus of the flower ceremony is a value that ties together Unitarian Universalism and humanism and progressive politics. The value of inclusion honoring difference. We progressives value difference. Now, don't get me wrong. We aren't particularly good at embracing difference, but we aspire to be good at it. It's a value. It's an aspiration. It's an ideal. The opposite of inclusion is otherizing calling out differences and calling those differences wrong or stupid or sinful or whatever. This is the move that authoritarians make, and it's the opposite of our core value. And it's the direction European countries and their westernized colonies here in this hemisphere are going. Today I want to consider a couple of ways to counteract authoritarianism otherizing. And the way I want to suggest going about that is by considering a couple of British Victorian era writings. Now here's the first. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty in his place again. Now what's wrong with that little rhyme as you heard it? Think about it. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty in his place again. Well, you probably caught it. The last line of the verse actually goes, couldn't put Humpty together again. Yeah. In the first version, the last line is not the traditional one. The first version is from Through the Looking Glass by Lewis Carroll, pen name of the English academic mathematician Charles Dodson. In the book, after meeting Humpty Dumpty and hearing the first version of that poem, Alice says, that last line is much too long for poetry. Alice is correct in her poetic understanding. Now the question is, why did Lewis Carroll write a different last line to that little verse? What's the difference, besides the poetic metrical one that Alice points out, between saying couldn't put Humpty together again and couldn't put Humpty Dumpty in his place again? Ponder that a moment. Before I consider that, it's good to consider that though the origin of the nursery rhyme appears to be British, 
That's where the agreement on that little stanza ends. There are speculations about it, but no one knows what Humpty Dumpty is supposed to represent. Humpty Dumpty is a symbol, but we don't know what it's a symbol for. The answer is, we don't know. The answer is lost in the mists of time. However, lots is known about Lewis Carroll and his books, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, published in 1865, and the sequel, Through the Looking Glass, published in 1871. The scene with Humpty Dumpty occurs in that second book. So what's it all about? So let me read you a little dialogue between Alice and Humpty. I don't know what you mean by glory, Alice said. Humpty Dumpty smiled contemptuously. Of course you don't until I tell you. I mean, there's a nice knockdown argument for you. But glory doesn't mean a nice knockdown argument, Alice objected. When I use the word, said Humpty Dumpty, in a rather scornful tone, it means just what I choose it to mean, neither more nor less. The question is, said Alice, whether you can make words mean so many different things. <laughs> the question is, said Humpty Dumpty, which is to be the master? That's all. Alice was too much puzzled to say anything, so after a minute, Humpty Dumpty began again. They've a temper, some of them, particularly verbs. They're the proudest. Adjectives you can do anything with, but not verbs. However, I can manage the whole lot. Impenetrability, that's what I say. Now, some argue that Professor Dodgson is here poking fun at Christian theologians of his time. In the face of Charles Darwin's theory of natural selection and the acceleration in scientific knowledge, preachers, priests, and theologians were quickly reinterpreting traditional Christian words during that time period, words like God and salvation and eternity. They were saying, when I use the word, it means just what I choose it to mean, neither more nor less. Dodgson and Alice, however, we're having none of that. The question is, said Alice, whether you can make words mean so many different things. As it turns out, liberal seminaries have stayed in, the, in business since that Victorian age, saying you can reinterpret language. And conservative seminaries have stayed in business all these years, saying, no, you can't. Now, try as they might, the religious hierarchy could not put Humpty Dumpty in his place again at the center of social and political life. That's what Lewis Carroll was trying to say, apparently, and he was correct about that. But Lewis Carroll died long before the rise of the populist authoritarian movements of the 1920s and 30s, let alone the popularity of populist authoritarianism in the teens of our 21st century. In our post-truth world, the meaning of words again become a, contest, a contested zone, and the old question remains, can we make words mean whatever we like?
Another British writer from the mid-19th century did exactly the opposite of what Humpty Dumpty did with his redefinition of words. He invented a word, then the definition followed. The nonsense verse writer and illustrator Edward Lear appears to have invented a word that went on to find definition and even reality. In his poem, The Owl and the Pussycat, Lear wrote, they dined on mince and slices of quince, which they ate with a runcible spoon. Well, mince is a food that's been minced up, that's easy, and quince is a fruit, which I have to look up because I don't know that I've ever had one. But what is runcible? Now, as I was typing that in my word processor, my spell check underlined it and didn't know what to do with it and didn't even have a suggestion. <laughs> but ever since the word appeared in the poem, people have been trying to define it. Now, sometimes it's defined as a fork with a sharp edge on the cutting side, a grapefruit spoon, I guess you call it, otherwise. Sometimes it's defined as a spork, that combination of fork, spoon, and knife. And sometimes it's defined as a measuring spoon with, you know, you got your teaspoon on one side and the tablespoon on the other. And also, there are several restaurants in the English-speaking world called the Runcible Spoon. But the fact remains that Edward Lear invented the word in his poem, The Owl and the Pussycat. They dined on mince and slices of quince, which they ate with a runcible spoon. And the meaning of that word came later. Sort of the way truthiness became a concept after Stephen Colbert used it on television. Now the arts can teach us many, many things. The arts can push our minds in new directions and create new thoughts, new imaginings, and new realities. The arts can also help us resist and overcome. And you can do some artistic, anti-authoritarian work this summer. The American historian Timothy Snyder published a book in 2016 called On Tyranny, 20 Lessons from the 20th Century. We're looking to get some of those into our bookstore. It's a handbook for fighting authoritarianism. Now, lesson number nine in the book is be kind to our language. Avoid pronouncing the phrases everyone else does. Think up your own way of speaking, even if only to convey the thing you think everyone else is saying. And number 17 reads, listen for dangerous words. Be alert to the use of the words extremism and terrorism. Be alive to the fatal notions of emergency and exception. Be angry about the treacherous use of patriotic vocabulary. I will be talking next week a little bit about that idea of exception and emergency. An unrepentant Nazi in the 1950s said, that's how we did it, by always working in emergency and exception. In number nine, Dr. Snyder agrees with Humpty Dumpty and with Edward Lear. A new word in context can make us think in new ways. A new way of saying something 
can create a new idea. We can be like both Alice, insisting that words do have particular meanings, and we can also be like Humpty Dumpty and Edward Lear and the owl and the pussycat. We can have a fine time seeing spoons in brand new ways. However we choose to underline and undermine authoritarianism, it needs to be underlined and undermined. And it can be by both redefining words that appear to be fixed terrorism and by inventing new vocabulary to describe new ways of being free and inclusive. Inclusion is multifaceted. Inclusion is difficult. But it begins by watching our language. This summer, remind yourself to watch how language is used by government officials, by reporters, and by the people around you. And keep in mind what Lena read this morning from American essayist Barry Lopez. No culture has yet solved the dilemma each has faced with the growth of a conscious mind. How to live a moral and a compassionate existence when one is fully aware of the blood, the horror inherent in all life, when one finds darkness not only in one's own culture, but within oneself. If there is a stage at which an individual life becomes truly adult, it must be when one grasps the irony in its unfolding and accepts the responsibility for a life lived in the midst of paradox. One must live in the middle of contradiction because if all contradictions were eliminated at once, life would collapse. There are simply no answers to some of the great pressing questions. You continue to live them out, making your life a worthy expression of a leaning into the light.